Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. So this week, we are kicking off a new series that's going to carry us uh, about the next 10 weeks as we begin to look into something that, as we're trying to put a handle on what we would call this series, I just really like the concept of shouts and whispers. And so, um, because both of those things can get your attention. It's amazing how you can be in a room and there's all sorts of chatter and all sorts of things going on and somebody wants to get some attention, then all of a sudden, then obviously they raise their voice and they shout and they want to bring some attention to something. They get a little bit louder. They want to draw some attention. But then there's what's hilarious also is that you can be in a room and all sorts of chatter going on. And then for whatever reason, you decide you don't want to draw quite as much attention to yourself. But it's, it's funny, it still gets attention that somebody be- two people begin to whisper and our subconscious picks up on there's something. And it's amazing how a whisper can get your attention as well. In fact, I learned this as a dad. Um, whenever I was, uh, you know, raising the, 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 the kid, the oldest ones when they were little. And, uh, so we would be in a public environment and I wouldn't necessarily be in a place where I could go ahead and use my dad's stern voice. You know, you didn't want every kid in the room to stop. You ever see that, that moms have that mom voice. They walk over there and they say it in a certain way and every kid just, oh, that ain't my mom. Okay, I can go on. And so, but it's just this command thing. And so, and it was hilarious. I'd go over to Keenan or to, to, to Brooklyn, and they'd be doing something a little off base, not quite toeing the line, taking care of business the way they should. And I'd go over there and lean into their ear and begin to give them some correction, a little instruction, and a little whisper. And you'd see them, and depending on the severity, you'd sit there, and they would be here, and then you'd just see them go, and you're like, I got more physical response from them whispering in their ear than I even did potentially raising my voice and using the command voice on it. It's because there's all of a sudden there was some, in, some intensity that's brought to it. And as we're looking at this series of shouts and whispers, there's some places that we want to bring some attention to. There's where, where the word is beginning to, to point us in a certain direction. And a lot of times... We can miss it. The shouts should be obvious and the whispers should draw us in. But sometimes we can miss it. And what we're actually going to do over this next 10 weeks is we're going to go back and track through some of the high points. There's a lot more than 10 weeks could cover. We could probably spend over a year looking at this. But we're going to be looking at the Old Testament and seeing all the different places where we see Jesus. And how there was a line pointing to Jesus all this time. And sometimes things are can be seen more clearly looking backwards than they can be looking forwards. But we're going to be able to see a lot of wonderful places where we see Jesus revealed to us in the Old Testament. So we're going to, I think, I'm going to have some fun with this. Hopefully you enjoy this as well. So if you got your uh, notes open, we're going to jump off with this concept that to, to know God better and trust Him more, we need to see that Jesus has been part of the God-man story all along. See, as we come to the, chronologically, we come to the New Testament and we look from the, the big picture perspective of human existence 
that when Jesus shows up, he, he could seem like a new guy to the party. God had already been interacting with humanity. That's the story of the people of Israel, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and the story of what he had been doing. But throughout that interaction and throughout God shepherding his people, Israel, he had been speaking to them with shouts and whispers and pointing to them towards a Messiah that was going to come. And so when we begin to see this, we recognize Jesus isn't a new person that shows on the scene. He is the personification. He is the embodiment of what God had said was coming along all the time. And so and this is, as we do this, this is, I love it. It's this kind of connect the dots puzzle piece as we roll along. Um, this, is, this stuff is, is fun for me. I don't know if anybody in this room has, has ever taken a strength finders assessment. So the strength finders 2.0 assessment, and it kind of helps you. It's used a lot in the business world and kind of helps you see kind of how you're naturally wired. Well, anybody that knows me well would not be surprised to find out that my number one, my number one strength is positivity. And so I'm like just this ridiculous raving optimist. And so, and it's just... It's just, I'm just bent that way. But also, in my top five is, is this one called connectedness. And connectedness is this strength where I just, I like to see things have pieces come together. I like to see that this has significant meaning with this and, and see these pieces come together. In fact, it kind of reminds me of the, the story. There was this, this uh, <clears throat> panel of people who were, trying to see and study different personality types. And they got these, these kids and, and put them in the room, take this one kid, and, and it's just a, a real uh, a kid who just is, is real self-absorbed and, and gets real bored real easily with different things. And they stick him in this room. He's got all these brand-new toys. And he goes into this room, and he's playing with all these toys. And in about 15 minutes, he's just bored to death. He's just like, this is stupid. I'm out of here. I'm done with this. And, and, and so they, you know, mark their findings down and go on. And then they have this other kid who's wired with just, like, happy, positivity, see the bright side on everything. And they open up this room. And on the inside of this room, there's this big old pile, huge pile of manure. And so the kid goes into this room with this big pile of manure. And they sit there and they come back and they leave him in there in 15 minutes and come back and check on this kid. And they can't find the kid. And so they're like looking everywhere trying to find this kid. And finally they see there's this hole in this pile of manure. And they sit there and they walk over to the hole and they see some feet down deep into this pile of manure. And they're like, um, dude, what are you doing in there? And he's like, man, with all this poop in here, there has to be a pony somewhere. <laughs> and so... And so this kid's looking for the pony. And, uh, and so there's a lot of times I can, I can identify with that kid. You know, you sit there and you, you got a pile of poop and you're trying to find the good in it. And, um, but, but thankfully, as we go on this journey, it's not that kind of a stretch. It's not that difficult to begin to see all of these different things come together. In fact, I, I, my connectedness... Um, is it makes a big deal for me. That's part of why preaching is so fun for me is because as I see these things in the scriptures and I've, I am excited about what it's going to do for your life if you're able to grab a hold of it and, and connect with it yourself that I get up here excited about what God's word can do for you. And that's, it's, it's not just that I'm excited about what God's word says. It's, 
I'm excited about what it can do in your life. And, and I'm really hoping that we're able to move forward with this in a, in a meaningful way. So as we look at this, I want us to jump off, and we're going to keep coming back to this over and over again because we see that this isn't just Brandon Clark's positivity and connectiveness, taking some stuff from the New Testament and some stuff from the Old Testament and trying to make sense of it all. In fact, let's see what's going on here in Luke 24, 24. It says, Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And we're going to pause right there. And this is the story. We covered it not too long ago in the walk to Emmaus. And there's two guys. This is the morning of the resurrection. Jesus had, or <clears throat> this is uh, the day of the resurrection. And Jesus had already shown himself to, the, um, to, to Mary. He had already shown himself to, to uh, to some of the uh, disciples, and then Jesus is out walking on a road, on this road to, Emmaus, to Emmaus, and all the all the community, all the community is in a hubbub about the the empty the empty tomb, and Jesus shows up walking and talking to just two guys, two people, and he walks up and he's walking along talking to them, and and they've been frustrated and they've been upset. Because they thought Jesus was the one. They thought he was the one to come. They thought he was the Messiah. And they're sitting there talking directly to Jesus. And they say that they didn't see Jesus. So verse 25 says, And then he said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He didn't say how slow to believe you are about the fact that the ladies saw me at the tomb. You talked to eyewitnesses that saw me there at the tomb. You're slow to believe these other people's experiences. No, he takes it all the way back. And he says, you're slow to believe what the prophets had said. What you say you base your whole life on, you are slow to believe them. He says, you're slow to believe what the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. That Jesus had been laced through the scriptures all along. So as they're walking along, he just begins to show, here's Messiah, here's Messiah, here's how this was going to unfold. Everything happened exactly as it was said that it was going to happen. There's no surprises. It just didn't fit your paradigm. You took point A and point B and drew a straight line through it. Instead of following that this was going to be more like this. You grabbed your favorite point A and your favorite point B. And you said this is my picture of Messiah. And this is how it's going to be. And you drew a straight line and said it didn't go that way. So we're, therefore we're confused. And you know what folks? You and I can fall into the same we can grab one little chunk of scripture here, and we grab another little chunk of scripture over here, and we can say, okay, well, this is what I like about my picture of God, and I'm going to hang it. And then all of a sudden, when all the rest of the points, as we walk this thing out with God not fitting on our little straight line, all of a sudden we can become discouraged. That's why we've got to let the Bible speak to us and not let our experience speak to the Bible. 
That's what we are as, as Christ followers. We're letting him speak into our experience, letting him begin to devi- define our experience, not our experience, define what we're going to take or reject out of the word of God. That's why Jesus took it back to these guys who, were, who understood what the Torah had said, who understood what the scriptures had said, and said, look, you are slow to believe what the scriptures say, what the prophets say, what's already been written. We need to make a place in our hearts where we're going to hold on and let, let God define this and drive this for us. See, Acts 17, verse 2 through 3, says, And as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that Jesus had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. So Jesus did his ministry this way. Paul, we see as he's dealing with the Jewish, belie- Jewish people, as he goes into the synagogues and he steps in there, he's doing it the same way. He's going back to the Old Testament and seeing this revealed. This is important for us. This is important for us. Now for us who are, who are non-Jewish, who are Gentile followers, we start with the truth that resonates and says, hey, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. We don't have to. Paul did not walk into Corinth and go to Gentile believers and have a whole bunch of Old Testament scriptures and say, let me get you caught up on what God has been doing throughout the last few eons and help you understand this so you can get Jesus. No, he just preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. He dealt with them in their culture. But for you and I, for you and I, as we're growing in this, it's important for us to see How all this has been laced all the way through. So one of the first things we're going to jump off as we kind of drill down in our big point today. Is that Jesus was going to make things right from the very beginning. Jesus was going to be a part of this from the very beginning. We can go all the way back to humanity's fall. Humanity going sideways. Humanity deciding that they're going to believe a lie. And walk away from all of this. And we see Jesus being inserted into the story right there. Right from the very beginning. In fact, let's go ahead and let's back up. And let's look at Genesis chapter 3 verse 9. It says, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He called out. Humanity had already believed the lie that somehow God was holding something back from them. He had created this beautiful place of existence. All their needs were provided. They had community, not only with one another, with Adam and Eve, but also with God himself. That was Nothing was held back. Things were good and, and wonderful. They were just told, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because there was evil out there. And as soon as your mind is awakened to that, then now it becomes a viable option. And so they didn't, he told them, stay away from that. Just enjoy being in this place of good with me. And, of course, the serpent comes along and says, did God really say this? Did God really do it? See, God knows that you'll be wise like him, and he's holding back on you. And Eve sees that it's pretty and it's good for food, probably going to be tasty. It's going to make them wise, and they embrace it, and then eat it and go that route, choosing to believe that God was something that he wasn't. 
and things went off the rails. And I love this. God in this moment isn't running screaming from his rebellious, go-their-own-way children. God in the garden is looking for them, is walking towards them. So many times we think that all of a sudden we make a mistake, we do something, we pull away, and now God's just turned his back and he's hightailing and he's just getting as much distance from us as he possibly can. From the very beginning, when humanity did and pushed God out from the very beginning, he immediately made a motion towards them. And it says, where are you? You know who was hiding? You know who was pulling away? It was humanity. Humanity was hiding. Humanity was pulling away. And God was pulling in. And then Adam answers. He said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So he had been, he'd been naked the whole time. There was no problem with that. There was no problem with him and Eve being naked. But they had no understanding of the improper use of the naked form. And then all of a sudden, as they ate of it, their mind is flooded with the improper use of the naked form. And then shame now follows it. They hadn't even done anything wrong. They just had an awareness. And now shame begins to come in. And they hide themselves. And they run away. And then God says, and who told you you were naked? Who told you? Where did this come from? He wanted Adam to see that it was his own thought processes that's, that's happening here. The serpent didn't go, ah, you're naked, you're naked. The serpent didn't act like a, a, you know, a little taunting eight-year-old. It was their own mind. He said, who told you? Adam needed to realize this information came from inside of me. God didn't come up and say, oh my goodness, you're naked. What happened here? Nobody else came in. He needed to understand this, this, this awareness came from inside of himself. And he said, have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? Again, God knows the answers. He knows what's there. He's leading Adam to put the pieces together to understand the process. And so here we get the standard answer. We get the standard answer that we always give when our lives go a little bit sideways. It's someone else's fault. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. I was doing pretty good, God. I was doing all right. And then you stuck a woman in the mix of it and now things went sideways. God, this whole thing was your idea. He's not just blaming the woman. He's blaming God. He says... He says, it's the woman you put here. You did this. He's putting the blame everywhere else. God had already led him. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of fruit? He's already putting him on the right track. And Adam refuses to follow the right track. And begins to push blame everywhere he possibly can. And then the Lord God said to the woman... What is this you've done? And the woman then cascades blame down again. The serpent deceived me. And I ate. Yeah, I did what I wasn't supposed to, but it wasn't my fault. Someone else's fault. 
and someone else's. So verse 14 says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, as it cascades down, falls there with the serpent, God begins to go, okay, you had some role in this, and begins to deal with it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on the belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Adam's not even being talked about in this right now. Now things are rolling back back forward. Started with a serpent, now things are going back forward. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head, and you will strike at his heel. This is the very first place we begin to see Jesus revealed. That there was going to be an offspring of a woman. Man not involved. The offspring of a woman who is going to come about and going to bring total dominance and destruction to this that started this cascade process. God's just working it right back. So here we see the virgin birth. We have this offspring of a woman, man not involved, and that the Messiah was going to come and completely dominate over this serpent that brought this deception and death. So now what is he going to do? The, the serpent brought deception, lies, and death. Then what is Jesus going to be doing The opposite of it. Truth and life. Truth and life. The serpent brought lies and death. Jesus comes and ministers truth and life. And we see that over and over again throughout Jesus' ministry. From the very beginning, when things cascaded and the cartwheel went sideways and everything went up, Jesus has been a part of this plan from day one. God didn't sit there and deal with humanity and scratch his head for, for a few generations walk through some iterations of trying to interact with humanity and say, man, we're finally going to have to do something. I'm going to have to come down there myself in the person of Jesus and deal with this. Jesus wasn't something that came along later. In fact, Revelations refers to Jesus through another analogy, another metaphor we'll look at later. It calls Jesus the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundations of the world. That Jesus has been a part of this from the very beginning. He's not the one that just all of a sudden pops up in this obscure place in the the apex of the Roman Empire. And and all of a sudden is inserted into the story. Jesus has been a part of this all along. All along. Let's go on and look at Matthew 8 verses 28 through 29. It says, "And, And when he arrived at the other side of the region of the Gadarenes. This is Jesus. This is Jesus who's been a part of this story of bringing dominance and and defeating death, hell, and the grave and all its minions. They're aware that this is Jesus' assignment. They're aware that there's a timeline and this is simply being played out on a timeline. So Jesus is there ministering in the region of the Gadarenes and two demon-possessed men come from the tombs that they met him. And they were so violent that no one could pass that way. And this is what they said to Jesus. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? We know you're going to win. We know you're going to dominate. 
But you're kind of, are you moving this a little faster than it's supposed to go? We know you're the one who's going to come and, and dominate and crush the head of this, the, the serpent, the enemy, the devil, and all of, his, all, all of his minions. But are you escalating this? Are you pushing it faster than the time? This was not a secret. This was not a secret. Jesus has been a part of this from the very beginning. So now we look for the next place of connectedness. Well, what in the world does this mean for us? What does this mean for us as Christ followers, as, as part of the body of Christ? Well, you know what? I'm glad you asked. Because here's the truth. is we get to live in the victory that Jesus has won. He's the one that gives the stomp. He's the one that wins, the, that crushes it. But then we get to live in that place of dominance and position. We don't have to be subject to the enemy and his accusations and his deceptions anymore. Let's go ahead and look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55. It says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? It's not there. You've been detoothed. It's over. You've been crushed. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Stand firm. I don't know if you've ever stepped on the head of a snake. But as if you could actually force your foot down with gravity harder. If you weren't already standing firm, I can't make myself any heavier. I've only had to stand on the head of a snake one time. Went to, thank goodness it was a bull snake and out in West Texas. My buddy lived out in the country, and, and so we moved a pallet. And, of course, under the pallet there was the bull snake. And then so, it was, so then I end up, everybody else was too chicken, and, and I was... I don't know why I did it. It's not normally. I don't normally go ahead stepping on snakes, but I decided to. So I step on it. And I tell you what, you wanted to will yourself to be about 500 pounds more than you were. You wanted to stand so firm. Because even though there was nothing that slithery thing could do, you stand firmly on it. Said, it's still, it's moving, it's going. And you're just like, oh my gosh. And you don't want, last thing in the world you want to do is pick your foot up. So you can't wait till the person with the grub hoe gets over there and chops that thing to bits. So you can lift your foot up. You stand firm in that place. Stand firm letting nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. See we get the victory. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I've shared with you all before, and I won't tell the, the fullness of the story, but whenever I was a little kid, yeah, I, it's widely known here I'm not athletic at all. Uh, my, the whole hand-eye coordination just it doesn't work with me. And so anyways, the, I played baseball because Clark men played baseball. That's what they did. And um, anyways, I just wasn't good at it. And so I get stuck over in right field and and stuck out there where nobody hits the balls. And, and sure enough, in Little League, that game happened. And I was out there, and the crack of the bat happens. And sure enough, it pops over the first baseman's head, and it's rolling towards me. And it's on the ground, and I was so thankful it was on the ground. And, uh, and so I didn't even, like, run up to it. I just was like, 
doing that thing, trying to get in a nice line of trajectory, and I stuck my glove on there, and it just kind of loped its way into my glove. And then I was like, oh, I've got it. And then they're yelling at me, throw it. So I take the ball, and I chunk it towards home plate area. Uh, I don't even know that I threw it to the right person. I just threw it that direction. But I happen to be, and I think that's why I was on this team, is there's a team of superstars. There's a, a, a guy and his, his brother that were just amazing. Um, the oldest brother, Stoney Case, you can Google him. He played for about four different NFL teams um, as a quarterback. He led Permian to a national title, state championship there in Odessa. Um, went on to, to do great in New Mexico and, and was uh, drafted and, and played in the NFL for a number of years. His little brother was the uh, quarterback at A&M for a year. And so I'm these stud athletes. And so they, they put me on the team to kind of even it out. And so kind of handicap them a little bit. And, uh, and so, but that game, that game, um, I stopped the ball. I chunked it in. We won the game, not because of that play, but because of what everything else that the superstars did. But at the end of that, when we're in the post-game huddle, and I'm waiting on my little snack. That's what I was there for. Um, coach comes over, and he gives me the game ball. I think he was looking for me to do one thing good. I think he wanted everybody on the team to get a game ball at some point. He's like, this is it. This is Clark's shot. He stopped a grounder, and he threw it the right direction. That is game ball material for this kid. And, and so I struck out. I didn't get on base. And he comes, and he gives me the game ball. And so here I was. Here I was, the recipient I got to, I was on a team of victors, but I was this place that I got to, to savor the victory as like it was all mine. Like, like I did, I got to own the victory. I went home with that game ball and I kept it for years and years on my desk. Like I was like, did something awesome. Feel this is the game ball I got. It wasn't until years later that I saw it was a pity prize. And so, and then I got rid of it. And so, and I, not really, I don't know where it is. But as a kid, it was like, Yes, I'm the best grounder guy in the world. And, uh, and so, but that's the way it is. Jesus is the one that does all the work. And we get to live in the victory in, in an extreme kind of way. Let's go ahead and look at 1 Corinthians 12 as we're wrapping this up. See, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul tells us something we need to understand. You are the body of Christ and each one of you does its part. Ephesians 4, 15 says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is the Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So here we are as the body of Christ. Jesus is the one who stomped on the head of the enemy. And we get to live in this victory in a real way. Now this all comes in a beautiful connected package right here in Romans 16.20. Romans 16.20 says the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Well, wait a second. I thought we'd go back to Genesis and, and it was Jesus that was going to do it. Yeah. 
But as soon as we say yes and we place our faith in him, we become the body of Christ. So that crushed head under Christ is under his body. It's under you and I. We are a part of this. See, I got the game ball not because I was a spectator that cheered and said, you guys are awesome. You guys are an amazing team. You guys are some incredible victors. No, I got the game ball because I was a part of the team. I didn't have to do all the work. Jesus is the one that did all the work. But you are a part of the team. We need to recognize that it's not just Jesus who's over there who is this amazing victor. But he gives us the power to walk in the victory he has given us. Our bottom line today, please understand this, that the accuser, that's what Satan means. He's the accuser. He has no business being in your face since he's under your feet. He's got no business. Everything, everything needs to come from a place of, that we understand that, that God is for us and we're loved. Does that mean that, that there's not some places where some refinement doesn't need to be made? For sure it does. That's what Ephesians says. So that we'll become more and more in the image of Christ. We become less and less of our fleshly nature. And we become more and more of the, who we are in Christ as we grow in this. But the accuser has no place. He has done the victory, and we're the ones that get to live in this place. See, when we begin to see, when we see everywhere Jesus is revealed, then we begin to see Jesus revealed everywhere. Then all of a sudden, we begin to see him all over the place. He's at work in our lives. He's at work in, in us all the time. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to begin to pray and say, God, show me. Show me you. Reveal yourself to me in a special way. It's not just for a handful of people called ministers to do this. God wants to reveal himself directly to you and in your life. And as you begin to see him revealed in the scriptures, you'll begin to see his work being revealed to you in your daily life as he goes with you, as he's present with you, as he's in the middle of your highs and your lows in life. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.